Hey, this is Tabby and Boxian with Nine Lives. And on today's episode of this Enneagram uh, lefty adjacent personality podcast, we continue where we left off with our inaugural teaser. And we give you some brass tacks to get your bearings. We describe the system a little bit and give brief introductions to each of the nine types. We talk about where you can do further research to find out your own style. We give some of our our warnings. We give our own types. And we discuss some structural basics of the Enneagram system. And to keep up with us at Nine Lives, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Nine Lives Pod, nine the number, everything else lowercase, and also at both our Twitter and Instagram at Nine Lives Pod. You can check out our Substack where we'll be posting our episodes with write ups. All right, without further ado, we're going to talk to you about the basics, basics, basics of the Enneagram today. The Enneagram. First off, let me just break that down into the two things that I understand it as. Ennea is a prefix that I guess means nine because there are nine types, like I've heard you mention, nine lives. Yeah. And then gram is a figure. It's like a pictogram, right? It's a, yeah. this, is, this is a thing I've made during Pictionary at night. Right. So gram, I believe it's nine points. So you can picture, right, pentagram has five. So this one is, uh, to give you the image, you can Google image Enneagram and you'll find a million with all different words and uh, any ads, which has uh, platonic callbacks, right? I don't know if you guys know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's just a circle with, with nine points and then connecting lines between them in a fancy, fancy way, right? Yeah, there's two core uh, sets of lines. First, you have an inner triangle and then and those lines connect and then you have... I don't know how to describe them, but yeah, it's like, you know, if you're in school doodling and you're making these triangles kind of and diamonds within a circle or something like this, it's, it's kind of diamond-ish, diamond mind, that type of thing. Uh, I think it has, you know, uh, old school technology. Now, this is not numerology or whatever, but, you know, back in the day, people weren't on computers. They were on their abacuses, I don't know, in Greece or whatever, drawing out all these lines and the importance of geometry in the ancient world can't be overstated. That's uh, how they did math for a very long time. Huh. There's a so, lot of wisdom yeah. in there. It's fascinating. Yeah. How they've used, they took their geometry, the technology of their day, and used it for these other systems of observation. And they took that geometrical genius and said, okay, how can we interrelate the way people act different ways in groups and make them all work together? It's pretty, it's, I mean... Humans are really creative. It's it's great. All right. So we have a couple main sections of the Enneagram that are worth talking about. And then we all we have our nine numbers. Do we want to tackle them as three subsections uh, first? Or do you want to just go one through nine or nine through one? or Three subsections, I think, is a good, a good way to do it. What do you see as the three chord triads? So I, I have heard it explained as the heart head and gut triad and i mm -hmm. wish that the gut was another h word it frustrates me there's not some symmetry there oh, um that's a good point but i but i i always forget which numbers are which i remember my number so i'm an oh. eight and so i know that i'm in the gut triad and so like my fellows are the eight nine and one and after that i uh i've lost i lost the thread because i'm not the expert 
No, perfect. Well, yeah, and I always like to put the caveat that these categories, gut, heart, head, are, are metaphorical. Obviously, we all use our heart, head, and gut, but I do think they're useful metaphorical thumbnails. Yeah, and so the gut triad, eight, nine, one, nine is on the top of the circle. And so the gut triad sort of most fundamentally deals with anger. And then the other ones you have on the left side of the circle, so 891 are at the top. On the left, you have 567, which are called the thinking triad, and they most fundamentally deal with fear. And so in different ways, they're trying to think through how to uh, deal with the future and avoid uh, things they're afraid of. And then 234 on the right side of the bottom right side of the circle are called the heart triad, also sometimes is called image triad, also emotion triad, and they are dealing with grief and needing to find their worth in an image way, uh, emotionally. And they're also the heart of all change, two, three, four, especially three is the locus of change. Okay. Yeah. What is your number? I am the four with a five wing individualist but i don't like the names as much but for beginners the names are useful yeah i think that the names are good as a uh, a point to hold on to and then i think that you should leave them behind as soon as you can exactly totally um so i'm an eight with a nine wing and uh i never remember so also each uh, large number the first number not the wing number also comes with uh, one of three sub flavors that also impact it, which are social, sexual, and self-preservation? Yeah, so let me give a little uh, geometry or, or uh, road mapping. So the Enneagram has a lot of these triads, you know, nine divides into three, and then, like we said, it's this geometrical design. And so the main thing, so you have the nine core styles, and then, yeah, there's a couple things that subdivide it. So one subdivision, I would say, is into couplets where uh, each number, you take on more of the flavor to a number directly to your left or right on uh, the style. So boxing an eight is using the flavor of nine to his right instead of the seven, which others are the eight wing seven. And they'll have different names. So for example, the eight wing nine, so the eight is the boss challenger, eight wing nine I think is the bear, and eight wing seven is the maverick. And they have different looks, like uh, mine, Four Wing Five, is the bohemian, think, I don't know, Bob Dylan. And Four Wing Three is the aristocrat, think more like Prince. Yeah? Okay, so that's okay. one thing. You have yeah. the wings. Okay, so that's really <laughs> fundamental. Then the second thing that divides, in, it doesn't divide into triplets, but it has these three things that are in order. They're called stacking, subtypes, and that's where... We have this self-preservation, social, and sexual styles, which are like one-to-one. -one. You can use the individual mode, the one-on-one -on -one intensity juice sexual mode, or the social larger group mode more. And so that's why these instinctual body subtypes are called stackings, because you'll see in some literature people say, you know, for example, I'm a four wing five SPSX, which means my first is self-preservation, which is termed uh, tenacity, for example. My second is the sexual one-on-one, -on -one, which is this competition hate. 
And then actually that means that my last, the mode that I personally use the least, is the social wider uh, mode, which is uh, for four honor and shame. So within each type, along with the wings, another major element of structural diversity is how much you favor kind of doing things in your own world, more one-on-one -on -one relationships, or if you're constantly thinking about the wider, broader societal picture. So this helps anyone who says, oh my God, just nine types, that's nothing. And also all the people who, you know, when you read all the famous people in your type, or if I tell you, oh my God, you're the same as this other person in this type, you'll understand that in addition to having to realize these are not lists of traits that people just check off and they're all the same, that the Enneagram is a framework, a focus of attention for how you interact with the world, what you focus on, what are your obsessions, your ruts. Also, that within each style, there's incredible diversity. First with the wings, where you take on a lot of the flavor to the number above or below you, which shapes it a lot. And then also you have these ways that these sort of ego obsessions and searches from each of the core styles expresses itself when focusing on sort of your own daily survival, your own work, when focusing on dealing with people one-on-one -on -one versus working in terms of the group, the herd, status, belonging on a broader spectrum. So there's a lot of diversity uh, built in. So yeah, let's go on to the triads, starting now with the heart triad. So we have our gut, head, and heart triads, right? And we have heart being two, three, and four. So what is a two, a three, or a four? What are the differences there? Perfect. Well, three, let's start with three, because the middle of each triad comes from the core triangle, three, six, nine. And they're kind of the core of each of the three triads. And they, they tend to also take on more mainstream. They try to connect with a larger tendency of the population, while also sometimes being more out of touch with their own instincts. So a three is called the, the achiever, usually. And this is just sort of the, the champ, the star of human nature. They want to be this paragon, this role model. Basically, their desire is to be worthwhile to their people through action. Like I, I read in Buddhism, it's some the all-accomplishing wisdom. And this is this hope and change type, right? Like, Obama, hope and change. Okay. Two is the giver and the helper. This is okay. very much this type about needing to love and be loved, but they have these hidden valences of domination and pride and control so that they can look really different. They can have this more humble giving side where they want to nurture you, they want to give for you, and also they can have a, a martyr side, sort of this Jesus on the cross. And that same martyr side, when at a lower level, can be this control where they give in order to get but at their best, right. just really, truly want to serve people. Right. All right. And so the four is, um, I think I remember you mentioning that that's the, the person who's doing a lot of unique thinking, right? Yeah. The four is, uh, th that's my style. And I basically at our best, we're trying to be self-creative. It's a lot dealing with kind of finding your place. It's like creating a contingent identity, but it's also like, 
having longing for something that isn't there and always trying to achieve it. So there's this romanticism for this kind of unique, someone who travels in like the deep emotions, kaleidoscopes of emotions, very inward looking and sees. It's somebody who can't get out of their own feelings. I'm going to be real with you for a moment. (laughs) I think even more, it's like, we think feelings are the only thing. I mean. (laughs) Right. Right, exactly. Can't leave them behind. It's like, where else is there? I don't. (laughs) And we are very aware of other people's feel. That's why I'm good with Enneagram because I, I, I can read. I'm incredibly empathetic. Right. I'm in, and I'm interested in reading people's points of views. Yeah. So, what is the connection across those three types that make that that make it so that we can group them into this heart type? That's a good question. Uh, Basically, it's about feeling uh, at heart. Uh, that you're not worthwhile in some way. And so trying to find the image to get away from the grief of feeling not worthwhile. And so in different ways, doing ego activity to try to find that sensation. So three is the most direct, just through action, I will find the worth and like do the actions that are worthwhile to my people. Four is like, I'm going to find this expression of creating a new self, a new style, birth and death that will bring the crops the next year, like the poetry, right? Uh, the Bob Dylan poem, the Rumi poem. And mm-hmm. and it's like a more withdrawn into myself. Three is acting, four is kind of this meditative inward, and then two is trying to put that grief outward by helping other people. No, I don't have needs, I'm gonna help you. But it's to make themselves feel like they are worthy of being loved by giving love. Right, and so the, and they're all connected very deeply to uh, the, that person's relationship with people as a whole, right? Where two is I'm going to serve people, three is I'm going to impress people, and four is I'm going to to ignore people or people don't necessarily understand what I'm doing, and so I'm going to do it myself, and then they'll see it eventually. Mm-hmm. I like that. Bitch, like Kendrick Lamar, like a uh, bitch don't kill my vibe. I can feel your energy from two planets away. <laughs> yeah, It's trying exactly. to take on yeah. everyone's energy and almost, yeah. Well, the highest right. point is reproduce the personal and the universal. Right, and so that's that's that heart triad right there. And just each one of those numbers just kind of changes the way that you're gonna approach, you know, bitch don't harsh my vibe. All right, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, so we have our, our next triad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll set that aside for, for a moment. We'll come back to it more in-depthly in individual stuff because there's so much to go through. Oh, Let's talk about the head trend, right? Mm-hmm. The, you got your five, six, seven. Um, right. So we're just going to run through it the same way. What are each of them? And then how do they compare to each other? And then what's the connecting point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so six is this sort of loyal, questioning skeptic at the core, the loyal skeptic, the questioner. And they're reading sort of the thought process of society and trying to see who they can trust. They fundamentally want to find support and guidance and they want to troubleshoot and make sure there's security for the group so there can be this rebellious defiance mixed with this faith, the skepticism, there's a lot going on. Imagine stand-up comedy, a lot of sixes, where there, whether it be Ginny Garofalo, Sarah Silverman, George Carlin is kind of the six par excellence, but it's the, also a lot of hosts like Jon Stewart, Letterman Leno, Ellen DeGeneres. It's like trying to kind of gauge what's a safe thinking that will bring the people together. Okay. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, the 
the simplified version mm-hmm. that I've heard people talk about that I, I know gets a lot of pushback from people who do eventually identify as, as a six oh, is that <laughs> there's this thing about anxiety um, yes. that like anxiety is very much at the core of it and how they're reacting to it. And so like there, there's almost this taking anxiety and planning a way f- planning it out from being a problem mm-hmm. um, is, is kind of like that core thing that a lot of sixes are doing. And they're doing that by gathering a lot of information. Right. And it's a certain right. type of information very much about who they can trust. Right. Right. Which is why there's so many of them in interviewers and so many uh, in comedians that are just making these observations about like, oh, you know that everything is awful. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going on from all right, so the five. Right, What's so going the five, five is also dealing with anxiety at core, like all the thinking types, but their way of trying to deal with that is to sort of withdraw into their castle with the totems and observe from out there and to prepare, basically to make themselves capable by gathering, not gathering info on who they can trust, but finding a specialized area of knowledge that they think will be useful the metaphor of the ivory tower withdrawing to analyze 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 it's the equivalent of the four withdrawing to get in touch with their emotions before they can go and find their sense of real self before going back but with thinking so i'm going to withdraw and think enough so i can re-enter and not be without defense basically yeah the observer the investigator and i've i've heard them called you know the uh the person who you know, you're at a party and they're the person who's sitting back and observing everything, taking everything in. And then they're the ones who are going to connect the dots and, and uh, explain stuff uh, really well later on. Oh, yeah. Like uh, they, they, they run through everything again later afterwards. They take it all in and then they replay everything at home. <laughs> they take that time. Right. So they're the masters of the uh, delayed comeback, right? Um, <laughs> All right, so then uh, tell me about the seven. So the seven style of thinking is more kinetic, more embodied, more manic. They're basically afraid of being in pain, not being satisfied. It's very future-oriented, and they try to kind of remain in optimistic thinking, their way of dealing with fear. They also might not want to admit their fear because they're trying so hard to think their way out of it. So this is this sort of... Uh, manic reenacting. I think a great example is when uh, Richard Pryor reacts the moment he went through a heart attack. So it's like if I plan through kinetically and fun this scary thing, it's like somehow I'm getting out of it. And they're acquisitive, a lot of consumption, uh, thinking, exciting plans, basically. Right. So, so yeah, so it sounds a lot like Again, uh, the connecting point here is is anxiety across all three of these. And they're just dealing with that in a different format. So the six is preventing it from being a problem in the first place. The five just is reacting to the anxiety after it's happened. And the seven is ignoring the, the presence of it by replacing it with all of these other by thinking about it in a fun way or by moving on to this other new fun time activity something that something that occupies their mind instead right and I, is that fair yeah i would add the five is before and after they're all always thinking it's just which way they're doing yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah and a six six we didn't mention because it's a whole other thing but there's a core division between phobic and counterphobic that can make sixes look pretty different especially the counterphobic six like a, a phobic six is more open about their phobia like a marilyn monroe 
Uh, phobic leans in, right? And the counterphobic runs away. Well, the, the counterphobic the, runs the towards it. So they maybe they they want to just like confront all like Tupac, right? Just like I'm in your okay. face. I'm not afraid. <laughs> and so they head okay. off. So, so, the, so the phobic one acts the way that we understand people with phobias to act. It avoids the phobia. Right. And it's more open. About and the counterphobic is the one that charges up to it and then uh, and and interacts with it directly in order to to fight their fears head on. Right. And that's where people, as we'll see with eight, people confuse it with eight. But the way you tell the difference is the core motivations. You, you have to look at what people are saying and what they're talking about and the way they confront a threat will look different than the way an, an eight will confront a threat. That's an important thing too with the right. Enneagram is people have similar behaviors in different ways, but you have to look at what the reason is, what the motivation is. Okay. So uh, great segue. Let's talk about the last triad, the gut triad. Awesome. Yeah. So that's where you guys are at. Uh, this is uh, yeah. more in the body and they're thinking it's the eight nine one. Eight nine one. Eight is the this challenger boss. This is someone who uh, is dealing with. Gosh, uh, they tell the truth. I would say it's like the lust for the innocent vengeance of the truth. <laughs> How would you describe it? You're an eight. That's. A, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, so I and I'm I'm an odd eight. So eight wing nines aren't as common is my understanding ah. uh, as the eight wing sevens. And so like the eight wing seven is the more common understanding of it. And, or even just a, a regular, like a straight up eight in that they are more brash. They're the hyper CEOs. They get stereotyped just like everybody else does in their own way that frustrates the people that are part of their type, right? And so when I read the descriptions of eights, I read a lot of psychopaths um, mm. or traits that come together to create psychopaths in that it feels a lot to me like there's been this kind of social history attached to what the eight type means so that you end up having like a common discourse about it seems to be that eights are oftentimes ceos and that it's very very difficult to be a, a woman who is also an eight wow and i think that both of those things can be true and i think that they can then be misinterpreted to not understand what is at the core of the eight. So the eight, in my opinion, is at the core, is is searching for that truth, kind of at the exclusion of all other things. Um, <laughs> and in such a way that it could very well be determined to be a an obsession or a problem in some other respect, right? Especially in the way that, that we can deal with other people. So that forthrightness, because there's this obsession about the truth, can create these problems and then but at the same time it can be rewarded very easily or it can be put down in the case of social dynamics as being a woman because of the power placements and so the more that i've learned about it and the more that i've thought about it the more that i've thought that like oh okay like i, I guess that foucault just kind of already wrote everything i had to say <laughs> um, uh, about it being a uh, very much about power dynamics and then the truth of those power dynamics yeah like marx is another classic eight uh, speaking of women, I mean, I, it's all very relatable to me because I'm uh, married to a female eight wing nine. And we've talked a lot about how the stereotype versions of eight in the pop culture. And that's a good point about eight wing seven and gender. I think an example would be like a, an eight wing nine woman would be like a, a Serena Williams. So there's the nine kind of brings them into a more calm 
uh, withdrawn, less brash in a way, I would say. Right, right, exactly. And so you don't have that demand to be in the center of the room, Mm. but I will go into a room and fully intend to just be relaxed and chill. (laughs) And then somebody will say something that is just not true. And I will get spun up from zero to 60 just so quick. Or if it's not being an antagonistic type thing, uh, if that's not the the case, right, then there are times where just, uh, you know, there isn't a non-woo word that I have for it, like a non-hippy-dippy sounding Uh word, then just kind of the energy that I bring into a room. I can walk into a room at times and fully intend to just kind of relax and let things just happen. And then it'll end up being that I'm driving the conversation or that I'm driving the whatever it is that we're doing because there's just this kind of sublimation of like, Oh, that sounds like you have a stronger opinion than everybody else. (laughs) So sure. And you guys might not realize it. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, and it took me forever to recognize that that's what was happening. And, um, and it's not something that like I, I was intending. It's just something that kind of happened. And so and that's, also a strength, that's though, a, when you, it's a strength to have that clarity of vision if you use it right. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you, once you recognize it, then you can use it for good. If you don't recognize it, then what ends up happening is I'll step over people or I won't let them speak or <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, eights are great. Right. Yeah. And, and, and different so, eights have different things that are their sense of truth. Uh, like speaking of women eights, a lot of women eights I'll watch in interviews. I, a good way to learn is like more than fictional characters, watching people just talk like interviews or stand up comedy. That's why podcasts are great. But like, you know, a Susan Sarandon, uh, a Roseanne Barr, uh, they, they are like obsessed with like women's stuff. They're like tough, like I protect my other women. I want to work with women like they get their own power trips. Right. So there's it depends on their right. social circumstance and view what their fixation is. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about nine. Yeah, so nine is like on the top of the Enneagram. And so this is in some traditions sort of said where you enter the the whole system this sort of basic if you want to say it in a platonic way between being asleep and awake and they kind of that's their core thing they're sort of out of touch with their own instincts but they're very in touch with everybody else's they're kind of called the mediator the peacemaker uh this could be sort of a Kofi Annan type or also this blissed out uh in the odyssey they're the lotus flower eaters this premature Buddha, like love, peace and love, man, uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, Lisa Kudrow, Phoebe on Friends, like, oh, so this very sort of relaxed, light tone. Now they can have emergences of anger that's repressed when they're out of touch with their own point of view. Uh, Dave Rubin would be a really bad example of a nine, but uh, at heart, they just mm-hmm. want to sort of have this relaxed, sort of narcoticized mediation and loving of all viewpoints if that right, makes sense right you okay, have a nine yeah, wing what I are your that, what are your thoughts on that um so my thoughts on it is are nines frustrate me a lot <gasps> because of my eight core mm. um <laughs> and i find that like uh the drive towards narcotization um, towards just not doing anything and towards uh, letting things just kind of be whatever Um, the ability for a nine to just kind of seek their bliss 
or just like fall into their bliss and kind of just be really passive about it is what I find frustrating about both them and me. Mm. And so the, uh, the nine ends up being this, uh, this person who, when they don't know much about themselves, they're okay. When they know a lot about themselves, they're okay. Whenever they're in that middle space and they're on the self-discovery path, that's when I find that they have a lot of internal strife and struggle and are really uh, wound up about about stuff and having a lot of a lot of trouble because they're not in a steady, stable place. They really need to be in a steady, mm. in, a, in a stable place um, to really be able to enjoy things. That's interesting. That's a, that's a good insight. I like that. Yeah, because they like all the gut types, like organization and structure and yeah nine has this appetite to kind of merge and unify whether with a lover with the people with their food and yeah they kind of fate you're right that phase change is hard for them they part of their laziness can be just wanting to to be in this one point of view i mean that's why dave rubin's a good unhealthy example he's like i don't everybody's yelling at me that this is bad and i just want to watch rudolph it's love from my childhood you know it's like this uh the stubborn sloth, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. So now let's talk about the ones. Yeah, the one is uh, you'll see everywhere in politics and the discourse. This is uh, the reformer, the ideal. This is just the ethical crusader. They're afraid of being condemned, sort of this puritanical impulse to not be corrupt. I mean, you have someone like AOC. Okay, uh, this is good. This is bad. Uh, Sam Cedar. Uh, Noam Chomsky, trying to find this practical moral balance, uh, Angela Davis, this constant struggle. And they have this stubborn repetition of their crusading, right? So Bernie Sanders says the same thing a million thousand times. We're going to do this. And, and they care about imbalance. Uh, this is not a balanced way of doing it, this judge. And as they get lower, they have this stubborn non-changeability uh, like uh, Hillary Clinton. The, fi- the way we're doing things now is right and practical. If you condemn me, that's wrong. You're condemning me as bad and not pure, and that's horrible. Uh, and then you get into the more paranoid states like a Tucker Carlson, all these horrible people. Uh, Tucker Carlson, Jordan Peterson, uh, Sam Harris, so, Bill Maher. They're just pissed. They're mad, and they resent that people are trying to like tell them they're not ethical, so they're going to condemn everybody else, and they need things to be pure. And yeah, that's it's that whole dynamic. Right. So the the ones are, are are who we would see the moralist as as the moralist either way. The ones are the people who recognize a problem and then beat that drum until that problem gets solved. And they've got an idea for how to solve it. Or maybe they'll change that idea and they'll go with somebody else somebody else's idea. But mostly, they can identify those problems and then they're like a dog with a bone. They won't let that problem go. Is that fair? Oh yeah, for sure. They're social mode is inadaptability. And so whether from the left or the right or the center, to, so to speak, they're in, inadaptable. The same way Hillary and Tucker don't want to change their point of view because they think it's the right solution. Uh, Bernie or Noam Chomsky also, once they decided the ethical balance, a uh, classic one trope is what is to be done. Lenin, very one dynamics, what is to be done, right? And And exactly, they get very fixated on making it happen. And they can get into the details and they can be thorough, like a, a Nathan Robinson in Current right. Affairs. Just, I will go through every single fact of what you've done wrong. Same with Noam Chomsky. Yeah. You know? They're really they're real big on um, hypocrisy as well, right? Yes. They, they say, okay, the, there's a 
the structure and we need to work within that structure and we're going to go from there. All the types have interesting paradoxes and contradictions as you get deeper in, which is, I think, part of the grace and beauty of it. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot to really examine with each one, uh, a lot of layers and a lot of interplay between them. So the last thing about the gut triad that we'll talk about is, um, so the thing that connects them, the thing that unites them all, it sounds to me like it is, you know, if we go back to what we talked about when we very first started uh, introducing the Enneagram concept itself, is that it's the anger uh, that kind of unites them and then their reflection or their reaction to anger. So the eight embraces it, the nine kind of ignores it um, or sets it aside until it reaches a breaking point and the one makes use of it in order to uh, to create some kind of large change. Is, is that a pretty reasonable way to understand the through line that connects That's these three? That's great. And I'll also add, that makes me think with the nine, sometimes the nine, as you say, until they break, uh, sometimes the nine is described as the reluctant hero. And also they're a sort of higher emotional center. That's a thing we'll get into another time is a patient right action. So this is somebody who just uh, a great philosopher of nine is C.L.R. James, and he talks about, you know, when the, the people of the world finally rise up, uh, you should be surprised at how long it took them to act on their anger, not how fast. It's this patience until, yeah, it has to has to change. Yeah. All right. So now we have a reasonable overview. We have some ideas about what the utility of the Enneagram is. So now I'm sure that everybody in the audience wants to know what their type is. So let's just talk about that really briefly. And then we will be talking about history of the Enneagram and then start to do deep dives on stuff in uh, future episodes. So first off, how are we telling our types? Are we taking a test? Is there a BuzzFeed quiz? What's the deal with that? Or is it um, really just a journey of self-introspection? Yeah, I have some caveats. I think it's fine to take a test. You should take a test in the beginning. When I was first introduced to this by a, you know, a psychiatrist, she said, okay, the test to take is uh, one you have to pay for, but it's like, uh, you can find shorter versions online. It's all capitalized R H E T I. If you Google Reti, Enneagram tests, you can find them online. But the caveat is that even these official tests, they say, okay, you need to see what your top three scores are and then, or take it multiple times, take the top few and then dive deeper because these are like deep constellatory patterns. I mean, the first time I took it, I tested a seven, which I'm not, there's a whole literature on mistypings, but the tests are just a way of kind of introducing yourself to it. And I do know people who said, oh, every time I I don't like the Enneagram. I always get a different number on the test, so it must be bullshit. No, the point is that it's a deeper yeah. thing than that. You gotta, you can take it as an intro, but then you need to look around and sort of experiment and take your time. Right. The test is really just kind of the the test. I think are effective for getting introduced to it, getting into the headspace, and they ask a they, you know, they're, they're personality tests where it asks you a question and it says, you know, something like, uh, you know you come home and the dishes aren't done. What do you do? And then you think about that. And then that comes back. But the summation of all of those questions, just thinking about those questions in and of themselves allows you to kind of start reflecting upon your own personhood and then transfer that reflection out to other people and say, Oh, you know, I can understand how somebody else might've gotten upset about this or that or not upset. So the, the tests are the, the starting place that give you 
some footing to go elsewhere, right? Yeah, I think so. And I always uh, recommend, again, with caveats, the, a good starting place for beginners. And honestly, a resource I still look at a lot is the Enneagram Institute, which uh, the biggest mm -hmm. thing I always say is don't be afraid of the list of famous people they put. They tend to put these celebrities from the 80s and horrible politicians, and they don't explain what yeah. connects them. And it turns people off. They say, I'm not like that. Like I'm, <laughs> But they have really good, if you look down on their profiles, really good with like the basic categories, wings, basic motivations. Also, they have something really useful that actually was developed by the guys who started Enneagram Institute, Riso and Hudson, which is levels of health. If you scroll down, there's a good profile always. And you always have to keep in mind that like, there, you might say, oh, I'm not like this anymore because you're pushing against these more negative sides. So you have to think too about like the worst version shadow of yourself, right? And I do think sometimes they don't rescue enough the positive potential. So there can be a turnoff element, but that's where I think the levels right. of health, where they have nine two-sentence descriptions of like kind of your behavioral modes when you're at different levels of health, I think yeah. helps a lot see how different people fit together within a type, different types of behavior. Yeah. And there's they also have an interesting section where they talk about um, uh, one number in a relationship with another number. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, I've heard many people talk about how those have been very dead on for their relationship dynamics. And, and I've read them and I thought that they had some good stuff to say there as well. Oh, so, yeah. There's also know. a section on mistypings, which will happen over time with other people. You're going to learn yeah. to type other people too, and you're going to make mistakes. It's a process. Yeah. So then um, there's a lot of books uh, out there, a lot of good stuff like that. The thing that I would recommend as the lowest effort, mm. but easiest intro entry point is the sleeping at last track. So on Spotify, you look up this artist, his name is sleeping at last, or that's what it goes by his real name's Ryan. Mm. And he, he does all these other uh, stuff, all, all these other conceptual albums and music and everything like that. But he's got on this one album called Atlas, I think volume two. Mm hmm. He has, or uh, at the time of this recording, he only has eight songs. He hasn't done nine yet, but he's done the Wait, other. The eight. only one he hasn't and done so his can... own number. That's the most. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, he is, so Ryan is a is a nine. He he admits that, and he he works with um, a guy whose last time I can't remember. His name's Chris, uh, and Chris wrote the book called The Sacred Enneagram, oh. which has been really well. Very well Jesuit traditions, right? Um, and, yeah. yeah. And so if you, yeah, very Jesuit uh -huh. traditions. He, uh, Chris worked with Mother Teresa. I remember point, you mentioned um, the, about the, the, okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a big mistyping thing that we'll talk about with Mother Teresa at some point, but you know, you got to stay tuned, uh, come back and listen to us again Don't worry, for that. We're one. not going to make you be but, Jesuit. <laughs> right. Right. We're not, we're not going to go deep into Jesuit <laughs> patterns or anything like that. But, um, so Sleeping at last, the artist behind that, he's a nine. And what he's done is he's gone from one to nine, uh, kind of absorbing each Enneagram number, writing a song. And then he has about an hour, hour and a half long podcast talking about the development of each one of those songs to go really into it. So the lowest effort entry point that I think is probably the best in one is go on Spotify, listen to this guy's songs and say, ah, that one really resonated with me. Awesome. And before we go, I want to remind you our Instagram is Nine Lives Pod with the nine, the number. And I have put a lot of resources there. And in fact, I recently, I mean, a week or two ago, but it's still towards the top, put a gallery of nine 
basically of all nine types with photos of famous people and a rundown of basic categories and some of the basic brass tacks for each types to kind of give a visual and um, reading resource. And hey, I on the Instagram, Instagram got like over 160 likes and only have 40 followers. So give us a follow. Uh, we're posting stuff there. Also, sometimes commenting on what we see over at Nine Lives Pod on Twitter. And a lot more coming. It's been great. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Please come back. Uh, we didn't give you all the information, <laughs> so you have to come back. And uh, that was yeah, great. we'll talk to you next Thank time, you so guys. Thanks so much, Baxian. All right, Thank bye. You.